everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 127 of the podcast that takes you through all of the superhero adventures in the Marvel comic book universe from the beginning with the Fantastic Four number one and going all the way up to the 1966 annuals. That's right, kids. It's annual Do you know we've been doing this for like two and a half years? It's been a while. I think officially next month is two and a half years. Wow. Yeah, because we the ha- hell? Because we did those recordings beforehand in February mm-hmm. or March. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So it's already probably been two and a half years. Well we uh Jeez. Yeah. It's it's yeah, it's been a while. What are we thinking? Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> but there's a lot of Marvel to cover, so it's gonna take us at least two and a half more years to get through all of it. To get to the rest of it, yeah. We're yeah. really booking though. In that vein, <laughs> we have five books to cover Ooh. this episode. Woo, woo, woo. Uh, if you were listening carefully at the end of last week's episode, I only named four. So see if you can guess which one is the extra. We have Sergeant Fury 33, Sergeant Fury King Size Special 2, Tales of Suspense 81, Strange Tales 148, and The Avengers 31. Do you think they guessed it? I don't even know which one, but... King Size Special, I forgot to mention last week. Okay. Well, I read it, so we're good. Yeah, I read it too. We're good. Um, This is another landmark episode, however, Mike, because do you know how many Silver Age comics we've covered? Um, I don't, because my count includes non-Silver Age comics, too. We have covered 399 Silver Age comics. So today, this one episode, this issue right here will be 400? Sergeant Fury 33 is issue 400 of the Marvel Universe. 33 is four. Oh, no. Oh, no. We messed that up. We messed that up somehow. Um, so I hope that all of you out there are fans of Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight is the Nick, Nick, Nick show. It is. <laughs> you know, Nick is so much a square. He's a cube. We've got three Nick Fury adventures coming at you two of them in the halcyon days of death and destruction of world war ii and a third in the modern agent of shield era so uh should we dive right in let's dive sergeant fury 33 all of these books were on stands on june 9th so we did june 2nd last episode this is all june 9th the grandeur that was greece and we have stan lee is our editor roy thomas is a writer Dick Ayers is an artist. John Tartaglioni is our inker. Sam Rosen is our letterer. And Irving Forbush is our camp mascot. Just for the heck of it, let's start our soul-stirring saga at the beginning of the first and second attack squads hold a strategic conference. And by that, I mean that the Howlers and the Maulers are in a brawl. Uh, They're just duking it out, punching each other's faces, McGivney is ravin' him up. Fury, call off your hi- wahoo and hyenas before I wade into it myself. Another bullpen blockbuster from Mighty Marvel to you. So Nick Fury does show up. He gets all of his men under control. McGivney's yelling at Fury. Sam Sawyer shows up and says that both of them need to get themselves under control and hot foot it back to base because he has a mission for him. So Fury starts yelling. Fury is super, super um, polite to Captain Sawyer. He is, he is taking his medicine, and he's a little bit peeved that the howlers have made him look bad, so he yells at them and 
forces them to run all the way back to camp, yells at Dugan, you need to, you need to like not join in whenever they're brawling. You have two stripes. That means you're supposed to help brain things in. And Dugan's like, oh, but I've got this red mustache too that counteracts the stripes. So then Sawyer wants Fury in his barracks, not barracks, his office. And he introduces him to Peter Kazantis, a member of the Greek royal family who is being sent to Greece to help rally the various guerrilla tactic factions of the resistance together under one organization. And guess who's going to take them? Captain Savage and his leatherneck raiders. Well, Yay. no, he's, he's going to drive the submarine, but Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos are the ones who are going to head over there and do the business. Um, from this point on, there are fewer things that happen per page. <laughs> mm-hmm. They take the lots su- of words. They take the sub to Greece. They get off. They look around at how pretty Greece is. They see the Parthenon. They see uh, Nazi soldiers in the Parthenon. Rather, however, than a gunfight damaging the uh, landmark ruins of the ancient Greek civilization, Kazantis surrenders. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, why did Kazantis surrender? But he did. So instead of being able to rally all the Greek factions, he apparently is going to be put to death. However, whenever he gets to uh, the local Nazi headquarters, they say, well, we've got Kazantis here. He's part of the Greek royal family. We should have him read this message about Nazi superiority over the radios. And Kazantis is like, these radios right here? How far do they go? Everyone in Greece should be hearing this message, Kazantis. They'll all hear your surrender. And Kazantis is like, all of Greece is going to hear my voice, huh? All right, I guess we'll do this. So he goes on the microphone and instead of surrendering and talking about how awesome Nazis are, he calls upon every Greek man, woman and child to band together and resist the occupation and fight back against the Nazis. The wahooing howlers come in. They rescue Peter Gazantis. Um, they fight some Nazis and punch some soldiers. And um, Nick and Peter get separated from the rest of the howlers. It's bad. But Nick knows that his mission priority is to get Kazantis to safety. So he gets Kazantis off in a car, leaves the howlers behind, gets Kazantis to the sub, and rides the sub away from Greece. Next issue, the payoff, no matter where they are or what's happened to them, I've got to find them. I've got to. Ooh. Ooh. So, I don't know about you, but I don't really think about Greece when people are talking about World War II. So that right? was kind of interesting. I like actually, that, yeah. I actually looked it up just to be like, well, what was Greece during doing during World War II? And they were occupied. They um, were. They actually drove off Italy, though. So they at first they weren't occupied. And then Germany came back and said, no, let's double down on that. Mm-hmm. And then occupied them. But they did have a royal family, and that royal family did hide and did you know build up a militia and stuff. Although... I did not see this guy's name, so I don't think he's a real person. Right. Um, there weren't a whole lot of members of the royal family that I could specifically look up. I could mm-hmm. find out the people who had been king and would be king. I could find mm-hmm. out uh, their brothers and wives. But there weren't a whole lot of actual members, and none of them worked for Peter Kazantis. Right. Um, the best I could figure of somebody who was even in, like, involved in World War II besides hiding with the government in exile was mm-hmm. uh, Prince Philip 
who is the cousin of the Greek king and is now married to Queen Elizabeth. Oh. That same guy. So he is he is a cousin uh, to the Greek royal family. So this is probably him then. Probably, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't um, know. Sometimes they draw these people and it makes you think, like, am I supposed to know who that is? But, yeah, in this case, I think it was just made up. So I was reading this, and the whole thing with Captain Sawyer at the beginning, I just realized this whole my name is Sam I'm sorry, my name is Captain Sawyer to you. You know what that mm-hmm. is? That's what? don't call me chief. Oh, yeah. Don't call me sugar. Sh- sorry, sugar. Yeah. Don't call me sugar. Uh, don't call me Sam. My name's Captain Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Captain Sugar. I want more um, McGivney and his Maulers. Like, how come they don't do that more often? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. It seems like a no-brainer to me. And also, I got to wondering after reading this, do we ever see these guys in the present? Like, does McGivney have a job at S.H.I.E.L.D. also or somewhere? Because he seems equally competent. That is a great question. I have zero clue. I don't know either. I have never experienced any of them. Actually, most of the Howlers, other than the occasional, I think there was like a cap issue here and there with the rest of them. It's usually just Dumb Dumb and Nick most of the time. And we've seen Gabe Jones in S.H.I.E.L.D. We saw Gabe Jones in S.H.I.E.L.D. barely. They seem to be tapering him off already. Yeah. But you don't see like... Any of these other guys, but I know, I think they do appear in the present at some point, at least early days, but now you'd have to explain why they're not ancient. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. Um, yeah. But I would like to know what they're doing and maybe kind of be like, whatever happened to. Yeah. Um, on the submarine, the only named member of the skipper's crew is Mr. Stone here, and he mm-hmm. will go on to join the skipper in the Captain Savage title. So, um I wondered if maybe we were going to start getting those characters, but there's no one else who has a name. And of course they all argue over what's better army or, you know, I guess Navy in this case, although it's, yeah, they had a Navy. Uh, apparently that's a very common thing, which I think is weird. Cause it's like, dude, you're all military. Why don't you all like support each other? But no, no, we've got to bass each other. Cause we're not the same. I think, something. yeah, yeah. It's the whole, like which high school is better. Our high school is mm-hmm. better because we're at that high school. Mm-hmm. Um, our military service is better because it's who we are. Although I did like the scene after Howlers are like, all you guys do is sit in this submarine and stuff. But then they actually start getting into a, a dog fight with a ship. And mm-hmm. the, the Howlers are like, oh, my God, we're so helpless down here. This is the worst. Did you notice on page eight when they blew up the other ship that it said they all took a knee? No. And like gave thanks to God for helping them win. Oh, well. So I was kind of like. Is this a thing? I feel like this is not a thing. So I went on Facebook to the the Marvel uh-huh. Comics fan group I'm in and just say, "Hey, military people, is this a thing?" And what, like the sub that submarine people pray when they shoot a missile, or that anyone in the military prays when they like oh, blow okay. up the enemy? It says mm-hmm. just for out there listener land, um, ski and sky, ski and sky, sky and sea alike seem to erupt in a torrent of searing flame as the foremost of the deadly port torpedoes strikes the Nazi ship, followed seconds later by a series of deafening explosions. Uh-huh. And inside the American sub, a small but valiant handful of men go down on their knees, knowing that whatever brave men accomplish, they do it with the aid of a power higher than themselves. Mm-hmm. So thank you for God for helping us blow up that sub. Well, because I, I, there was something about, like, they were firing blind, right? Mm-hmm. So is that just a one-time thing? Like, yay, thanks for 
thanks for aiming us true. But yeah, still, that seems a little odd. Yeah. Some people seem to remember stories of that. Other people were like, in all of my years of service, we never did any such thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not not. It does seem odd that they're all doing it. Like one person, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, Howlers have never talked about God before, as far as I can think of, and they no. sure do risk life and death all the time. I think Stanley and maybe Roy Thomas too, maybe even Thomas to a greater extent, like to just throw in occasional acknowledges acknowledgments of deity. Because um, mm. I feel like just in the last few books we've read, maybe even the ones we read for the show, that there are a few messages mentions of God in there, mm-hmm. which I don't know. Be that as it may be. Yeah. Um, okay, so the big mustache guy that Kazantis reports to mm-hmm. in this, his name is Michael Skuris. He's not a person, but he might be named for Spiros Skouris, who oh. was a Greek-American, very big during the 60s, around this time. He was in the filmmaking industry and uh, was in charge of films like Cleopatra. He oh. also sent a lot of aid to Greece during the war. He went uh, sent a lot of money to support them during uh, their efforts to fight off the Nazis. So, hmm. might have been named after him, possibly. Cool. But the only other thing I have is that that picture of the Parthenon is really, really pretty. It is. Makes you want to go to Greece. And a lot of people die in this story. They're no longer sugarcoating it. There are just a lot of people dying in this story. Pretty much. Although it's funny that everyone that's fallen over by being shot with bullets are also speaking. Kind of weird. But that's okay. (laughs) That's Roy Thomas for you. Anything else for you? No. Go forward a few months? Let's just do another Sergeant Fury. How about that was so fun the first time. Now, before we get into this D-Day story, uh-huh. did you have you felt like they've been building to D-Day? Like well, since issue one. Since issue one. But like also it's like some recent issues. They've been like, you know, this is the plan. This is, you know, we got to keep these plans secret. Right. So I feel like this D-Day story should just be like the next story in chronology. But for some reason, chronology lists put it way far down the road, like after the 60s or 70s issue numbers. And it is oh, just weird really? to me. Yeah. No, I don't think that's right. It should be around where we're reading right now. Mm-hmm. Um, boy. Okay. So this is a big king size special number two. So we've got an original story and then we can get to the ones we reprint. It's got a really cool opening. Like, I guess I assume I'm reading this digitally, but I assume it would be on the interior of the cover. It's got like a cool black and white. Mm-hmm. What What's all inside here? But I won't read all that. We'll just get to the main event. It's called A Day of Thunder. The time, near dawn, June 5th, 1944, on the sands of a Normandy beach, a Nazi patrol make their accustomed rounds, unaware that the Allies have picked June 6th as the target date for Operation Overlord, the Anglo-American invasion of Europe, and that the hard-hitting Howling Commandos are about to begin paving the way for it. And lest we forget the glory-drenched names responsible for this epic story of stories, it's roll call time. Stan Lee, editor extraordinaire. Uh, Roy Thomas, scripter, superlative, Dick Ayers, penciler, preeminent, John Tartaglioni, inker, infallible, Sam Rosen, letterer, lamentable. This is the big one. Uh, so, yeah, just like the caption said, we see the Howler's scuba. You guys scuba? I scuba. As long as you're up for scuba. Um this actually harkens back to when they did open in a previous story and were scuba-ing because they had to practice, but then we never saw that again. I assume that's connected to this, though maybe it's just a coincidence. My headcanon is it's connected. Um, and yeah, there's all these like Germans patrolling the, 
the, the, the, the beach and they pop out and they beat them all up. They meet up with the French resistance and we see um, – um, what's this guy's name again? Same guy we saw before. Uh, they call him they call him Frenchie or something, but that's not his name, is it? Yeah, Maybe Jacques, Jacques Dunier, I think. Okay, well he he crossed paths with us in Sergeant Fury number twenty one, according to this handy caption here. I kind of remember him, uh, but anyway, they're going to work together. They dress up Dino and Izzy, I think, mm-hmm. and as Germans, Dino can speak German. Izzy just pretends to be a silent driver, and they go from like one little town to the next, or a little I don't know army base to the next, and invite all the heads to this mysterious party and they all like fall for it because one guy wants to hook up with chicks and one guy thinks the Fuhrer himself is going to be there. So they're all super excited and they go to this castle where the supposed dinner party is going to be and the Howlers stomp all over them and put them in prison. So that got rid of all the commanders and then the Howlers are next assigned to go to the, the, the base with all the planes and blow them up. Which they do, but then they also get caught by all the army that's there. Uh, they get slapped around and tied to a post. Oh, and the guy the guy who's in charge there is like, obviously you guys are planning something, so let me write the Fuhrer and ask what he wants to do. And the Fuhrer's like, no, execute them. You know, this animated cartoon Fuhrer is like... Adolf Hitler is like, no, no, execute them immediately. They must die. Schnell, schnell, schnell. So the guy's like, I think we should keep them alive to ask them more questions. But okay, we'll kill them. So they put them up. They tie them up to all these, uh, uh, you know, beams. And they're going to shoot them to death when uh, the French resistance comes in to help them. Uh, Dum Dum, with his own awesome strength, pulls one of the beams out that he's tied to and just goes around whacking everybody with it while he's still tied up. And anyway, they escape and they blow up the place on their way out. Um, and then insert D-Day here. Basically, watch watch uh, the beginning of Savvy Private Ryan, except it's not Tom Hanks. It's Nick Fury. They actually make a point of having Nick be the first one out of the water, which kind of inspires everybody else to follow suit and storm the beach together, even though they're all being, you know, pegged down by bullets. And then there's a lots of, you know, howler, howling commando shenanigans. But because the howlers got rid of all the commanders in the beginning of this issue everybody all the germans are kind of like wondering what to do because there's no one giving orders and then of course there was no planes because they blew all those up so there was no planes to back up the germans from keeping the americans from taking back the beach and then in the end nick laments all the losses uh percy is kind of excited that all the suffering that england has gone through is now finally like maybe the tide is turning on a day like today um um, um, trumpet guy Gabe is like talking, thinking about race and how like Adolf is trying to make one race, but we used all these different races to like you know win the day here. And then the Howlers go home, and one German's left, and he's like, "Nah, we're still here, and we're not gonna give up." The end. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like you, I think a lot of my understanding of this event is from Save It Private Ryan. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, I got to say, I don't know how it really was, obviously, but when I went to that theater and watched that movie, and it was like surround sound, so bullets were literally whizzing by our heads. Oh, wow. And it's just like, gosh, that seems like the scariest day of anybody's life who was there, right? It has to be. Right. has to be. That was horrible. And usually, you know, horrible war is like, save for Vietnam movies. 
Right. So I kind of felt like this is one of that movie was kind of like one of the first times where it's like, no, no, World War II was really, really horrible too. Look at all this needless death. It was bad. So, kids. so yeah, I think about that scene, especially when someone brings up D Day. That's just, it was just horrific. Um, I was but, curious the entire time I was reading this exactly what role Nick Fury was going to have and the Howlers are going to have in the actual events of D-Day. Because as the story starts, I don't know about you, but I was kind of wondering where we were going and what was the point. Uh, I, it took me a little bit, but then when they captured all the dudes, I thought, oh, okay, is this just all prep for the actual invasion? You know, Like they're cutting them off at the knees before they even start. Right, and then once the officers were kept, captured, they were able to you know, bes- mm-hmm. destroy the planes and do the actual mission they were there to do. But f- there was, there were there moments at the beginning there, those first uh, six or seven pages. I was like, okay, this is happening and this is happening. Where are we going with this? What's going on? I happen? know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I actually was kind of confused because it seemed like they're storming the beach in the beginning, but I right. guess they're not. They're, they're not. They're just the sideways or something. Exactly. So maybe they were playing with reader expectations by having a mm-hmm. similar setting, but not the actual event. Mm-hmm. But yeah. All right. So here's the question. The only question I really have about this issue is what do we think when a fictional character is the hero of a thing that actually happened? Is that fun or is that undermining? It is weird, isn't it? Yes. It's the whole reason why World War II comics, at least over Ignored DC, it. They, yeah. they, they avoided going directly into war, especially mm-hmm. with the uber-powerful characters like Superman. Some of the Justice Society and such en- uh, enlisted and helped, but like the uber-powerful characters like Superman, they specifically avoided getting them directly involved in the war because they could just, you know, stop it. Um, well, there, there was that one Superman story where he just stopped it, right? Early on. Yeah. Yeah. They did like a special. And, and then Cap... Captain America dressed up as a grandma and went over and beat up Hitler and just laughed at him and then left. And that was like issue number two. And it was like, yay, that was funny. But then they can't do that again. Right. So I think they learned their lesson very quickly to just stick with, you know, Hitler vampires and stuff. Because <laughs> we're, we're making the troops mad by making it suggest like suggesting that it's so easy to just take care of this problem. So even though it's not superpower saving the day here, it does feel kind of similar. It's like, okay. Well, I guess instead of being one soldier among many, Nick Fury is actually the one leading the charge, mm-hmm. which is kind of what was implied back there in issue one also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're not putting Cap in Vietnam for this very thing we're talking about, you know? Right. It's disrespectful. But this is being written in the 60s about the 40s. So does that make it better? Like it's okay if it was 20-something re- years it, ago? Right. It's removed. Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. Like, it, would it be really cool to see Superman stop 9-11? I think it would be a neat read. But at the same time, people actually died, and that's kind of uncool, too. I don't know. I'm on the fence about it. But I did think about it as I was reading this. Like, is it – if I was at D-Day, would I be happy that they decided to make Nick Fury the guy who got me out of the water? I don't know. Don't know. I don't know either. I do know, however, that my computer is running low on power. So you talk about the next scene while I get up for a second and fix my power. Okay. I don't know what the next scene is. I don't either. Other than to Let's say, talk about something. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> yeah, they make like they make this big point that Nick Fury is going to be is the guy. Everybody else is huddled in the water while these the what you know the 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 bullets whiz around, and he's the guy who gets up and starts going, and then they're all inspired by his courage. And then most of the scenes are 
of course, the howlers doing what the howlers do. And the howlers are kind of like a obviously very fictional. Uh, they don't have superpowers, but they sure never get hit by bullets either. Right. And like nothing bad ever happens to them. And they're really good at just taking on impossible missions. So D-Day is almost in a way like no different than any other issue we've covered, except that it's real. Not to talk bad about your boy, but it's kind of like Batman's superpower. His main superpower is that he will not die in any given story. Right. Regardless of what's going to happen to him, he will make it through. Yeah, we don't. So they are obviously fantastical characters. They don't get hurt. We don't, we don't empathize with the fact that they have sore knees and, you know, gunshot wounds. Those kinds of things are played for laughs. We cannot keep up with these people. No. So yeah, I don't know. It probably it feels, is undermining. If you yeah. if you were if you were part of D Day and you read this comic and really got butt hurt about it, please write in. Or didn't get butt hurt about it, write in also. I doubt um, that's going to happen though. It, it it does remind me of Flash Thompson's Afghanistan story from two thousand, the late two thousand, no, the early two thousand tens, maybe the late two thousands is. But mm-hmm. um, you know, he comes back from Afghanistan. He lost his legs. In the war. Flash Thompson? Flash Thompson. I didn't know this. So there's a whole issue where he is basically recounting what happened. And you Uh don't know because you just see him resting up in the hospital talking Uh to people there. You don't know what happens until the course of the story where he, you know, is trying to save his buddy and they both get caught in a mine and the buddy doesn't make it and his legs don't make it. That works for me, though, because that you could at least say. You know, it's not nothing simple is happening. You're you're empathizing with the very human Flash Thompson who lost his legs in the war. You know, exactly. It reminds me of it in a sense of contrast. Right. Like this isn't Green Lantern just swooping in and putting Adolf Hitler in a bubble and throwing him into space. You know, the spear of destiny keeps him out, man. Mm. That's right. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, it's a fun little romp. It is uh-huh. historically weird. That's cool. This is I know the next annual takes the. Um, what are they doing now approach and shows the howlers and Vietnam oh. and tells a contemporary story with okay. Sergeant Fury and the howlers. So um, it actually oh. is contemporary to all the shield stuff. So we get to see what, what everyone's doing while he's in shield. Well, pre- assuming this annual takes place right after the last issue we read, we've come full circle because issue one ended with this. Mm-hmm. And now we're here. And now but we're this, here. This series is going to keep going. There is a whole more year of war left. Yeah, And, you know, the, the invasion at Normandy, storming the beach and, and working away into Europe, that was a very, very, very important first step towards finishing the war. But it does take another year. So, yeah, all the other. I think it was the first issues. big foothold for us or something. Yeah. yeah. Turning the tide, basically, between that and, and Germany suffering Russia more than they thought they would or something like that. Anyway, the rest of the annual is two reprints. Strange Tales 135, which was the first Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. story, I think. And then we got Sergeant Fury number 11, and that was about <coughs> excuse me, about that Captain Flint guy who was by the book, and then he learned his error of his ways, and he ended up being like Nick Fury's double by the end of the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it, and which is kind of disappointing, because King Size, you'd think there'd be like something cool, a pinup or something. And Those first few it. annuals in the other series had like, you know, pinups and villains galleries and all sorts of stuff and yeah i mean that's kind of the fun of an annual right like give me a give me a breakdown of the barracks or they did that already but something it is a special gun i thought it might be worth pointing out that this is not an annual technically they're not calling that anywhere they're calling them king size specials 
True. Um, I don't know why, but here are some facts. One, DC was controlling Marvel's shipping and restricting their output, the number Mm -hmm. of titles they could publish. Mm -hmm. DC was doing annuals. Okay. Now, the way this book is cataloged, since it's not an annual, Sergeant Fury Annual is a separate series that ships annually. This is technically part of the Sergeant Fury series, which is published monthly, except semi-monthly for August. So it's a king-size special issue in the Sergeant Fury series. Wow, you're right, because the Indicia just says Sergeant Fury. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm getting this information, is the Indicia, yeah. Mm. So I don't know if that's part of it, if, I don't know, they they, they couldn't do annuals or weren't allowed to say the word annual, but... um, Yeah, probably, because it'd be a different book, a different series. They do go back to, they eventually stop doing these all together, and they go back to annuals in the 70s. Mm. But anyways. Well, I'm not a huge annual guy, but, you know, at the very least, throw some bonuses in there or something. <laughs> okay, so I guess that means it's my turn. Your turn for the return of. The Titanium Man. Yay. All right. Moving forward in my notes here, getting ready to talk about it at the end. Okay, we have Iron Man and Captain America, but Iron Man takes the cover this time around. Mission, destroy Iron Man. We see the Titanium Man being worked on by several different scientists of ill repute. Mm-hmm. Open the book. And um, the return of Titanium Man, having battled a savage fighting mad submariner to a standstill, the great Golden Avenger doffs his Iron Man armor and in the privacy of his factory lab, returns again to the identity of Tony Stark. Tony with an I, not Tony with a Y. Whoa. Glamorous man about town, inventor, millionaire, industrialist. Stanley writer, Gene Colan artist, Gary Michaels inker, Sam Rosen letterer, Irving Forbush, armor polisher. Nice. Okay, so Stark has determined that he has to go testify before the Congressional Committee. Uh, it might mean giving up his secret identity. He's going to try to avoid that. But no one has the right to defy the wishes of his government. So, um, I mean, technically, Whoa. legally, he's correct. But it seems like an interesting thing to say. Mm-hmm. He puts all of his armor into the attache case. Talks about how awesome it is. And how it now has batteries installed to charge the armor while it's in the attache case. So he turns on the charger. Um, let's see... He inserts the headpiece and then presses a button to compress the air instantly into the proper section. So that's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. He leaves his building, sees the police officers, and they're like, we're here to escort you to Washington. He's like, I know, I know. I'm doing Washington as soon as possible. Yep, so why don't you uh, get in that car? We'll drive you to the airport and we'll get you right on that plane. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. I can get there faster as Iron Man, but I'm not going to tell you guys that. They drive to the airport. He's like, okay, I'm hopping to my plane. Will you tell Cinderbird I'll be there in 30, uh, I'll be there in minutes. And they're like, yeah, the plane takes at least a half hour. But he gets to the airport, dons his Iron Man costume, and flies into the skies. <laughs> Meanwhile, Senator Bird is like, yeah, um, I've got an important announcement to make. I'll just learn Tony Stark is on his way to agree to our testify to our committee. And um, that goes out to the news. Bulletin reliably reported that Tony Stark will divulge the secrets of Iron Man's world-famous armor in committee hearings before the day is through. Uh, Iron Man do some loops loops in the air. Meanwhile, Titanium Man 
has built a uh, has designed and they have built for him a stronger, lighter, more powerful armor. So he puts it on. They fire like a huge shell at him. It just bursts on his chest. So the old Superman saying that nothing except a bursting shell can penetrate his skin. Well, this bursting shell didn't penetrate Titanium Man's skin. They stick him on a rocket. They fly him into the air. The uh, rocket uh, either goes across the ocean super fast or we were doing some time skipping there. In any case, while Iron Man is still flying to Washington, D.C., he runs into the rocket with the Titanium Man in it. And it's a next issue battle to the death because that's iron versus titanium in the skies above Washington as we end our story. (sighs) This is repetitive, but Gene Cole and Iron Man are super awesome. It's very, very pretty. I like it a lot. Ridiculous. Like, I don't even think a lot happens in this story, but it was just a joy to read anyway, because it's just pretty. Well, what's funny is that because of the serial nation of na- nature of the story, we have come full circle. Mm-hmm. It was a titanium... I keep stuttering tonight. I'm sorry, guys. It's a titanium man fight that injured Happy Hogan, where he revealed right. that he knew Tony was Iron Man. And put him in the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. So he basically been like spinning wheels to get right back to the same story. And now we questioned the other recently on another issue, what the status of Happy Hogan was. Because he was standing next to Pepper at some point talking normal. Mm-hmm. But then Tony confirms in a thought bubble that he still does have amnesia. So I guess we're just not visiting his best friend anytime soon. Yeah, I don't know. Because it says he's fully recovered too, except for the amnesia. So is mm-hmm. it just the amnesia of his secret identity? Is it more general amnesia? That's, and also, yeah. why would you say fully recovered? Oh, except for amnesia. That's that's the only thing that he, well, fully recovered from being the goon or whatever he was. The I can't remember what that character was now. He got turned into. Yeah, I, I can remember, but I don't like the word, so I'm just not going to okay. say it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, gosh. So now we're charging the armor, but he still wears the chest plate, right? Right. Is that what needs to be charged? Or does the armor charge the chest plate and you can just charge the armor separately or something? I don't know. No one knows anymore how this thing works. No. It's more and more confusing. It's a complete letter mystery. Um, yeah. I mentioned the whole note no say no to the government thing. That was very mm-hmm. weird. It's very 1960s Cold War patriotic. Well, that's very Tony Stark, right? Because he's the opposite of what anybody's going to say about that. I guess. In 19... In 19... What are we on? 1966, I'm pretty sure most people would feel the opposite. Mm-hmm. So Tony is just a boring old, you know, by-the-book guy, I guess. With a mustache and a lot of money. He says, I've put Senator Bird off for weeks, but a half-hour plane ride is just too much. Except then we find out later in the story that it's going to take him 20 minutes to get there as Iron Man. So, like, no, skip the half-hour plane ride for a 20-minute Iron Man flight. Also, if he gets there earlier than the plane and no one ever sees him on the plane, isn't he basically exposing himself to... Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that Peter Parker would, like, starkly avoid. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like he's just... I don't know. Just come out with your damn secret already. Nobody cares, right? But I know he's not going to, because I'm pretty sure he's he keeps his secret at least through the 80s. Right. Anyway. Um, Tony says, I love Pepper too much to let her marry a man whose days might be numbered. What is it with these men not letting women make their own choices? Yeah, well, it's not up to them, right? 
Men have to choose everything for them. They know better. Titanium Man looks cooler. I don't know if that's because it's Gene Colan or if because he really is slimmed down, but I don't know. He looks neat. Yeah. Well, he does uh, kind of taper in a little bit instead of having like a huge barrel torso. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of a tapered waist there. So, yeah, it's it's a cooler look. I mean, he looked cool before, too, because yeah. Titanium Man just looks cool. But this will be exciting. It's not going to be bulk versus, in, you know, intelligence. Maybe it'll actually be like a Iron Man versus Iron Man fight. I thought you were going to say bulk versus skull, like it's a Power Rangers. And <laughs> anyways, <laughs> well, that was his thing. It's like he was really strong, but then Iron Man's like, "Yeah, but you you move slow and you suck." Right. Well, shall we go on to the Red Skull Supreme? Nothing can stop the Red Skull. The true hero battles on, though the cause is hopeless. The prize be lost, and so it is with. The gallant Captain America, who hurls himself hopelessly against the victorious Red Skull, a seemingly unbeatable Red Skull, able to accomplish anything his warped brain can conceive due to all the due to the all powerful cosmic cube, which he now possesses Love his warped brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is script by Stan the Man Lee or Jack King Kirby. Inking Frank Goodguy Jacoya, lettering Artie Smarty Simic, and recruiting Irv Fall Guy Forbush. A format for credits that will become the new, I think the new normal here pretty shortly. Mm. What, the parenthesis thing? Yeah, the, the nicknames in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So yeah, Captain America, uh, he's kind of SOL. He's up that creek without that um, maneuvering mm-hmm. device because the Red Skull has the Cosmic Cube. So he jumps on the Red Skull to like try to wrestle it out of his hands, and he fails. And Red Skull like shoots lasers out of his hands, and then he's like, "Wait, wait, wait! We we're almost out of time. So let's have a story." Uh, not really, but he does stop to say, "This is all the stuff that I would do as King of the World, as the Red Skull, take over the world." And Captain America's like, "Oh no, those are all the things you would do. How am I going to stop you from those things being the things you will do?" So the Red Skull, because he's super imaginative with this all cosmic power stuff, he makes a sand creature come out of the ground. Um, It's Mm -hmm. kind of like sand Superman, but not. It punches Captain America and they fight until Captain America wins. And then Mm -hmm. um, Red Skull laser blasts Captain America again and forces Captain America to kneel to him. And uh, yeah, he's like, oh, that's pretty great. Now I'm master of the world. I've beaten Captain America. I'm going to give myself some new clothes. So he makes himself a gold outfit. And uh, Captain America is like, I, I'm so overawed by your, your splendor. Let me kneel before you. And Red Skull says, yeah, you should kneel before me. And he holds his sword over him like he's going to knight him. But instead, Captain America jumps up and grabs the Red Skull's wrist. And he's like, if he can't get a good grip on the cube, he's less powerful. And I'm like, how how do you know? Does it come with instructions? Because that's not the way I thought it worked. (laughs) But he manages to squeeze that wrist. And um, the island starts erupting because the Red Skull's upset. But it's not erupting that badly because the wrist isn't closed. He finally jostles the Cosmic Cube out of Red Skull's hand. Red Skull dives into the water after the Cosmic Cube. They both sink to the bottom of the ocean. And the only thing left of the island is a simple knoll of rock that Captain America stands upon 
whatever the secret of its awesome power, it's returned to the bosom of the eternally roiling sea, where I pray it will remain forever. What a speech. Yeah, Make, kind of a quick quick wrap-up, huh? It went quickly. Mm-hmm. I think it did what it needed to do, but it just mm-hmm. it did it did read very quickly. Seems like if this was a today story, it'd be like a whole year of the Red Skull torturing people with his imagination or something. Instead of that one page of hypotheticals, he would actually go and do a lot of it. His hypothet Okay, so the Red Skull really sucks with omnipotent power, at least in this issue, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Because even his hypothetical is kind of bonkers, because he's like I will create soldiers that will take over the world. It's like, or you could just take over the world. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make soldiers. You could make everybody worship you. Just or make the world be taken over. Make the world be taken over, right. So maybe it's just because he loves hate so much that he has to have an army to like hurt people and make them sad or something. I don't know. I like the idea of him just having a low creativity stat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then, like you said, the other thing is he creates a – Superman beast out of clay, but he doesn't even make it so that it's unbeatable. Like you could, <laughs> you could make an unbeatable beast and Cap beats it. You know right. why make it so that Cap's faster and stronger than it? That's weird. And even if, but, even even though his ideas were bad, uh-huh. instead of talking about how he was going to do all of those things, yeah, what if he just did them right then? Right, right. I did like the part where he's like, "Okay, fine, you beat my awesome Superman clay monster. I'm just going to make you not exist." That was kind of scary. He was like random thought. I transmit your physical atoms to another dimension, all a Dragon Ball Z. Right. Um, and Cap's going to die. And then he does the whole like, no, wait, I'll worship you. Whoa, and really? We- You'll worship me? Ooh. So he's not very smart either. But No. Red Skull has a long way to go. I mean, I like the Red Skull. Even here, I really like the Red Skull. But he has a yeah. long way to go before he's the Red Skull we know. Yeah. It's kind of like Doctor Doom in a way, how Doctor Doom – I mean, I think by the time where we are, Doctor Doom is pretty much Doctor Doom, but he didn't start out there. I mean, he made that one guy commit suicide all super cold last issue, which was pretty bad mm-hmm. or pretty cool. Suicide is cool. That's not what I'm saying. But you know what I mean. Like, it was neat. That was very Red Skull. Very but, evil. Yeah. It's not really – he wasn't all that scary for an omnipotent Red Skull. Although this fight on the big giant things that's cataclysmic, you know, all the rocks that are turning into – I don't know what you'd call them, but that's just super epic, all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a fl- that's a flashback panel right there, page nine. You see that all the time when they retell this story or think about this story. I wonder, like, Cosmic Cube seemed like a little one-off here. Eventually it becomes a more bigger deal. But it seems like in the grand scheme of Marvel Universe things, it's still not that big a deal. Like, what's cooler? Is the Cosmic Cube as good as, say, the Infinity Stones or not as good? Because they both do the same thing, but they, they don't. They have very similar power levels. Um I think it, it some of it depends upon the context of the story, and some of it depends upon like the the scale of the story. Like mm-hmm. you think Cosmic Cube, you think a single private alteration of reality to serve one person's purpose. You think yeah. in, Infinity Stones, you think like this big cosmic, like right. large scale thing wiping out half the universe type stuff. Exactly, but it at has the end to of the be day, that way. Yeah. Because otherwise, Thanos would just go to AIM and say, can you make me in a cosmic cube? That's way easier than going around all of space and time looking for rocks. Right. Looking for the seven Dragon Balls. It's like, you guys can just make this. So why don't you just make me one? Thank you. All right. Well, that was not a lot to talk about, but I did enjoy it. It was fun. Yeah, it was a fun read. I think the setup was cooler, though, maybe. That's what's going on with this Tales of Suspense is it seems like 
like the same thing happened with the sleeper. A lot of setup, and then all of a sudden he just solved the problem. So Cap does. It's not hard for Cap to solve problems right now, I guess. I liked the batch rock wrap up more because they had that stuff in yeah. the building and like swapping mm. out the canisters, and it didn't exactly logically flow. But I think it was a it was a definitely a, a more involved story and a more satisfying conclusion. So confession, I really miss Nick Fury. Let's let's read about Nick Fury some more because uh, <laughs> we got. Our third Nick Fury installment for today, Strange Tales number 148, Enter Kalu. But before we do that, we have a Nick Fury tale. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Death Before Dishonor. Just There'll be a lot of things that happen before I enter Kalu, just, just to say. <laughs> a lot of things have to happen first. Right. Deep in the giant underground complex created to guard all free men, a fierce explosion rips through S.H.I.E.L.D.'s detention center, where the captured raider from AIM... I'm sorry, captured raiders from AIM are kept for interrogation. Don't tell us. We'll tell you. AIM stands for Advanced Idea Mechanics, a band of evil geniuses in league with them. And we'll tell you who them are some other time. What? Another, another Mighty Marvel surprise. While Smile and Stan was on vacation, old Jack himself pitched in and scripted this great yarn. Who says this isn't the Marvel age of versatile virtuosos? Edited in absentia by Stan Lee. Layouts and script by Jack Kirby. Penciling and inking by Don Heck. Lettering by Sam Rosen. No Irving Forbush on this one. We're going to have um, to come back to this whole aim is not them thing. I am really getting more and more confused as they go along with this. But, right. But yeah. So basically, Dum Dung is Dum Dung. Dum Dum is leading some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents in fire hazard suits. And they're trying to like hose down Nick. Because he was doing the interrogating when this thing exploded. Apparently, the agent had some exploding device and they committed suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. They get Nick into like this medical tube thing, and they're but you know what? He dies, and Dum Dum's really sad. But then Nick is really there behind him, going, "That ah, you're an idiot. That was a life model decoy. You think I could be in the same room with those yahoos or whatever?" And it's like, "Nick, you're the best." Um, we cut to what's that guy's name? I forget. Count um Count something, yeah. Count Royale, uh, I think. Count <laughs> Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese is talking to the AIM guys about how the life model decoys are cooler than their robots. Um, and then like, I don't know, he goes back to be annoying at Shield, I guess. Uh Nick and is going to his office. I don't know. There's some scene about a gun, and Nick is grumpy, I guess. Oh, that's the whole point of that scene. He goes back to his office. He's being escorted by his MPs. He walks inside, and and Sitwell is behind the door with a gun, and he says, Ha, surprise, I would have killed you if you were if I was an AIM agent or a them agent or an AIM agent or whoever they think the bad guys are at this point because I'm confused. He's like, See, I, cli- I made a hole in your ceiling. And I got in, and no one knew I was in here. So you got to beef up security. And Nick's like, you blah, blah, blah. I don't need you blah, 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 and blah, 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 and get out of my office. And Jasper's like, I used to look up to you. And so I don't care who you look up to. Get the blah, blah, blah out of here. So Jasper leaves crying, and Nick is even more mad. Uh, and then Nick is like, finally like, I guess he gets a paper that says he has to report to Washington to, uh, you know, answer to this whole business because that 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 Royale with cheese guy is like trying to undermine Nick's position as leader of Sh- director of shield because he's too you know uh lowbrow I guess meanwhile them or AIM or whoever attacks where 
They make the life model decoys with the intention of stealing some samples, I guess. We cut to the court where they have like it's super like Harry Potter style. It's like everybody around a circle and the person in the chair being grilled in the center. Chef or you know, Royale with cheese guys like, yeah, Nick's too lame. Nick gets really mad just to prove the point that he is too low brown. He's I'm gonna make you eat those words, blah blah. They talk to a soldier. And he's like, or like a general guy. And he's like, yeah, he's a top notch, top notch fighter. He looks and acts like he hasn't left his foxhole in twenty years. And Nick's like, ooh, that wasn't a really good, good uh, 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 character assessment on my part. Um, they finally pull up Sitwell and say, what do you think of Nick Fury? He's like, I can't think of a man I hate more. And you know, Royale with cheese is like rubbing his hands together, like, haha, finally, this is what I've been waiting for. But then Sitwell's like, I hate Nick Fury for being the kind of great leader I may never become, for setting standards so high that I may never reach them. And the guy, the count's like, what? That's not what he was supposed to say. At which point, Nick grabs the guns of the MPs that are guarding him and knocks them out, knocks the dudes out, and jumps out the window. And they're in a helicarrier. Um, so everybody's like, oh my God, he just died. And Sitwell's like sad. Uh, but he also knows that Nick has a parachute, which is true. Nick has a parachute in his belt and he lands on the ground and Dum Dum is there to meet him. And Nick's like, well, did they attack the life model decoy base yet? And Dum Dum's like, yup, let's go on over there and greet him. Next issue, the end of aim. So kind of confusing, but I don't know. Um, this one had some shenanigans. I, that I, I liked the shenanigans. I liked the I fake did, outs. I, I did too. I just didn't know if I got them, but I liked them. Um, having Fury ball out Sitwell made me feel so bad for him. Yeah. It, it turned out to be a fake out later, but still, it's just like, oh, Sitwell loves you, Fury. Oh, yeah. That was part. I forgot to say that. So, yeah, they assumed that Nick Fury's office was being watched. So they did this whole fake argument. So when they put Sitwell on the stands... He would have negative things to say about Nick Fury, but then he turned the tables and didn't. Right. But my issue is like, was Nick under arrest? Why did he have to jump out a window? I don't get that part. Um, I think he's just realizing how much of a hold AIM has over everything, and he's just got to get out of there. Yeah. Okay, that works. And honestly, this is one of the first really true Nick Fury moves he's made that like I really feel like is our modern Nick Fury showing through. Mm-hmm. bailing on this trial, jumping out a window, faking his death in mm-hmm. order to team up with Dum Dum Dugan to go after the real bad guys. That's yeah. Nick Fury. Yeah. So, okay, do you have like a headcanon of history of them versus AIM and where we're at at this point? Because I'm okay. sort of all over the place. So when they first said them, mm-hmm. I had in my mind, based on my reading of the series from years ago, who them might be. Mm-hmm. And then when it turned out to be AIM, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I was misremembering. Mm-hmm. But it looks like they're not AIM. It looks like they're working. AIM is working for them slash with them. Last issue, it said they were um, a division of them. But mm-hmm. I thought that was just like a tossed out line that was wrong. But mm-hmm. if AIM are in league with them, then my half memory could still be true about who them are. And yet we've seen them in yellow jumpsuits looking like AIM. Right. We? Yes, so, we have we have definitely heard but if they're part of them, I mean if you're part of your family, you're still your family, right? Okay. I get yeah, so is them wearing aim outfits for because 
that's what you have to wear when you're working in the lab. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Sure. That could be. Okay. I don't know. They just and seem they kind of interchangeable be, at this point. I I would lay down at least $5 that they have changed their minds of exactly how this is going to work as they've gone along. Well, and I'm also like, S.H.I.E.L.D. seems to think AIM is up and up because they're they're listening to this guy undermine they're, their director. Yeah, they're scientists. They're, they make gadgets. They seem mm-hmm. – they're advanced idea mechanics. That's a pretty upstanding mm-hmm. sounding name. Yeah. They have tech we want, so we're going to listen to him. And we're going to seriously think about firing Nick because they won't sell us the tech unless we do. That's the conceit, I guess. Mm-hmm. But Nick, based on the last mission, is now assuming that AIM is bad probably, right? Right. He's in on it. He's on. He's the only one who understands – that AIM is attacking the life model geekoid facility. And if I remember right, he kind of subtly makes that known to Royale at some point in here, doesn't he? Or is that I, last issue? I don't think they talk. No, they don't talk in this one. So it, yeah. I feel like it has happened recently. It might have been last issue. Anyway, cool setup. It's exciting. It's getting all spy-like, which is neat. Yes. And the, the dum-dum and fake fury scene was super cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dum's like, I thought you were dead. Oh, I'm, I'm at, I like the end because it's like, you think Nick's on trial and everything's, you know, he's in over his head, but really he's right where he wants to be and they have they don't see him coming, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. That's a fantastic ending. Yes. Okay. Oh, there's Doc- more, isn't there? Shoot. There is, in fact, more. Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, the origin of the Ancient One. What? Magical editing by Stan Lee, mystic script by Denny O'Neill, mysterious art by Bill Everett, makeshift lettering by Artie Samek. So if we remember... Oh, we know you're thinking who's Kalu. At least we hope you are. And by the hoary host of Hogarth, Hogarth, you're about to learn the awesome answer. So, yeah, the Ancient One is like, oh, Kalu's coming. And Doctor Strange is like, so I'm really awesome. And you're really awesome, too. And we could probably just take whoever this is. And he's like, you're arrogant. He actually gets mad at him, which is weird for the ancient one. He's like, you're arrogant and acting like a schoolboy and you're undisciplined and you really need to listen to this. So let me tell you all the Charles Xavier, my story. Um, and so apparently the ancient one and Kalu were born and raised in a place called Karma Taj, which is like this weird hidden city, I guess. And they run, you know, they didn't have a lot, but it was kind of peaceful and Kalu and Ancient One were the two that like started researching magic. And Ancient One wanted to use it to like keep things peaceful and everybody happy. And Kalu was more like, I want more and more power. And the Ancient One kind of went along with it because he didn't want to fight Kalu because he's kind of an anti-fight guy. So at first it was cool. First they worked together to end like hunger and keep the peace. And that was great. But then that's not enough for Kalu. He kept uh, uh, wanting more and more, so he started like using the magic to make the townspeople see him as their leader, like hypnotize them and stuff like that. At which point, the ancient one is like, "Okay, I got to step in." But Kalu was more powerful, or at least quicker on the magic finger than he was, and shunted him to like this prison dimension. And while he was in there. Kalu like made all the townspeople attack nearby townspeople and kill and burn and pillage, you know, Viking style. And he became like this overlord. And uh, I don't know, the people got fatter and liked to eat and stuff because they were deprived of dignity and labor because they were just like using everybody else's slaves. So it became real bad. 
Anyway, Kalu, who was, I'm sorry, the magic one, magic one, what's his name? Ancient one, who was frozen, still had the ability a la Loki to like do things. So what did he do? He like summoned a spell that not only hurt Kalu, but like hurt the whole village. That was kind of accidental. Like it went too far and people started um, like disease and pestilence swept over the whole land. Uh, he basically ruined that place <laughs> to try and kill Kalu. And Kalu, uh, you know, to escape all that, went into his own secret pocket dimension and said, someday I'll come back, I swear, I swear. And now he is back, and he stole their book, their, uh, what's that book called? He stole their... Book of the Vashanti? Book of the Vashanti, and they're like, well, that's a defense book, so he can't do anything. But the reason he stole it is because now they can't do anything to defend themselves against him. So he's rubbing his hands together like, ha and then... Doctor Strange is like, I'm sorry, I've been acting like a schoolboy. I see now how Kalu is the worst thing in the entire world, even more worse than Dormammu or Eternity or anything I've ever fought before. I can't tell. Wait, I can't wait till next issue when we fight him. The end. And just at the end there, did you mention that it was the death of Dormammu that stirred everything up? Oh, it was the death of Dormammu when when he fought her Eternity that opened up Kalu's uh, uh, Phantom Zone and got him yeah. to come back out. Yeah, basically set him free. Yeah, so that's how Superboy Prime is alive, and that's how Kalu got I, out. It, I, I do appreciate the use of continuity. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Um, and actually, you know, it's kind of neat to get an Ancient One story, too. Yeah, the origin of the Ancient One, something besides when a mommy Ancient One and a daddy Ancient One love each other very much. Kamartage. Um, okay, so in their history together, mm-hmm. the Ancient One knows that Kalu is not a good person. And is determined to rule beside him to help things from going bad. But he basically stands by and allows Kalu to amass more power mm-hmm. until he has too much power to be stopped. Right. He should have intervened earlier. Right. Bad move, Ancient One. Bad but, strategizing. You know, they were friends, even though Kalu looks evil right from the beginning with those crazy eyebrows. But they were friends. So maybe like, or are they brothers? I don't know. They might be brothers. They might be like symbolic brothers. I don't think they say they're outright brothers, but anyway, they act like brothers. And like, you know, maybe he just had a hard time with the notion of stopping him. Maybe he could just guide him and it didn't work. Um, that part where the people in power are using slave labor mm-hmm. and so um, deprived <laughs> of the dignity of honest labor, they sank into a state worse than that of beasts. Mm-hmm. Their laughter became as the grunting of swine and their thoughts were only of their comforts. I mm-hmm. feel like Danny O'Neill is trying to say something here and I don't like it. That's very Star Trek, isn't it? It's a bit Star Trek, yeah. Like like we need our pain. If you don't if you guys don't work, if you guys don't like struggle, then you're just gonna be horrible people. And I like I not having to struggle. <laughs> and I like my comforts. Uh-huh. And that's me in the back corner there, that picture. With the pillow on my face. <laughs> right. Um, but also, that makes you think about Kalu. Like, they do achieve peace on their world, on their Earth. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what is your end goal here, buddy? Just, I don't know. You've got, I mean, what more does a ruler want than to have peace, I guess? Unless the goal is to just be a jerkhead who kills people all the time. Yeah, I don't know. He says he's going to be carried around on slaves' backs, but... It's okay if they die because new slaves will serve us soon. So he just wants more and more slaves. Just more power. 
I mean, usually you would think war happens because people want something the other people have. But if like you have a utopia, what do you need? I don't know. And then Ancient One, I mean, he really does throw out the baby with the bathwater, though. He messes up Kalu's regime, which is great, but he destitutes Kamertage, destroys the village. Yeah, when I called down the mystic powers upon Kalu, I did not realize that the villagers would be affected. Pestilence and disease swept over the land, and those few who escaped sickness spent the long summer nights making cries of mourning. Yeah, he ruined everything. He did. Okay, so now we can have the fight with Dr. Strange and Kalu. Yeah, I guess so. So that was uh, kind of like that hearkened to the juggernaut in a way, like this thing's coming mm-hmm. and let's talk all about it and let's have the juggernaut fight. Is it time to avenge? It is time. Our last book tonight. Wow. We're Our actually f- hauling pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was looking at the time and we were making really good times. So mm-hmm. uh, I was a little bit worried that we'd make too good of time and like need to throw in a sixth book, but I don't think that's going to mm. happen. No, we're good. <laughs> the Avengers 31. Never bug a giant. Get it? Because it's wasp. Mm-hmm. Featuring the strange power of the keeper, not the guy in charge of the Telosians in the cage. Not that keeper. No, because that doesn't exist yet. No, I'm sorry. No. The cage does exist. It just hasn't. It was. It was thrown it's out. It's not aired. Yeah. Right. The story is by Smile and Stan Lee. Art by Dazzlin Don Heck. Inks by Fearless Frank Chikoya. That was a yawn. Lettering by Adorable Artie Simic and Bugle Calls by Honest Irving Forbush. Which, when I have my Star Trek podcast, that's why I'm not starting with the cage, people. Oh, no. I know every single other podcast in the entire world has started with the cage, but that's just wrong. It wasn't even out there. You had to, you had to start with no. the man trap because no, no one knew what a cage you, was. You have to wait till I get to the 80s before I cover the cage. Right? Right. My my dad, my, which technically is my wife's father, but I call him my dad. Um, he told me whenever Bess and I were dating an early marriage that he had always considered himself the biggest Star Trek fan he knew until he met me. Mm-hmm. And he had never seen the uncut cage. What? And I was like, I'm watching this. And he's like, wait a second. What is this again? He had mm-hmm. only ever seen the two part menagerie. So yeah. I was like, yeah, it's on it's on Netflix. It's the last episode of the first season. Uh-huh. He's like, huh. So he goes and he watches it. He like has a ball with it. He loved uh-huh. it. It was great. Yeah. So I was like, yay. Well, until DVDs and stuff came out, you only got to see it that one time and it was aired on TV. For a long time, it was the only tape we had of Star Trek episodes. <laughs> the cage? So, yeah. yeah, I've seen the cage. <laughs> I've seen it a hundred times if I've seen it once. Uh, it's cool, but yeah, that would not be the one episode I'd want. But yeah, it's cool. We eventually got two and three, and then we got four and five. And so I got to see others up through the enemy within. But mm. um, but yeah. Good stuff. So Wanda, Captain America, I say Wanda, the Wasp. Captain America and Hawkeye are in the first issue and um, they're like, Hey, we're going to go help Goliath in South America. And Wasp is like, if you want to come along and Hawkeye's like, of course I want to come along. Don't be giving me sass because I love black widow and she might be an enemy. And Captain America's like, yeah, Wasp don't be giving him sass just because he might love black widow and she might be an enemy. So Wasp is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. So uh, Hawkeye gets his 11 arrows and uh, that means he can take out 11 people. 
They hop in the plane. They fly to South America because, you know, it's just one place. Meanwhile, subplot check-in, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are both hanging out in a little um, little village nestling in a peaceful Balkan Valley because they think that maybe their abilities uh, are linked to their homeland. So they're saying they're hoping to recharge a bit. And they're wondering, that what if... What if their powers never recharge? What if what if they can never become Avengers again? Dun, dun, dun. But we're not going to talk about them anymore this issue because we're going to go check out Goliath. He is in underground caverns in South America, walking around with the good old Prince Ray, who is so mad that the Keeper of the Flame has usurped his throne that he deserves because he is Prince Ray. And he tells the story about how, like, you know, a long time ago, there was this culture and they had this flame that is constantly burning cobalt and whoever can control the flame is in charge of the people and being the prince, he was supposed to be in charge of the people, but another guy took charge of the people and became keeper of the flame. And Ray really wants to be in charge again because Ray's supposed to be in charge. And Goliath's like, wait a second. So you're really like not even any better of a guy. You just want to be in charge because you're supposed to be. And he's like, yeah. The flame's mine. I should be the one in charge of all the people. And Goliath's like, yeah, yeah, never mind. I'm not helping you. Skadoosh. And Prince Ray's like, no, guards, get that giant guy. Meanwhile, the keeper of the flame is like, hey, guards, get that giant guy. And um, they bring out the doctor who was, was the entire reason that Henry Pym came down here in the first place was to find this doctor. I think it's Dr. Anton. Um, and they're going to kill him unless he can like help them find a figure out how to you know solve the problem with the flame um the avengers get to south america they talk to people in charge they end up finding the caverns goliath finds people in charge he punches a whole lot of people fights the keeper the avengers jump in they fight too bunch of fighting like fighting style with like robot arms and dr octopus tentacles the wasp uh uses her air gun on the keeper of the flame uh lots of crazy shenanigans they're just kind of paging through to see when the next actually important thing happens <coughs> and um eventually the fight just brings down the entire complex the flame is out the flame um like institution is destroyed all you have left are these people uh, Prince Ray's men and the Keeper's men stop fighting. The Keeper walks away because the flame is stuffed out and now they can no longer have the person in charge take over. Now here's one thing I forgot to mention. One of the reasons the Goliath is opposed to all of this is because he thinks it's a radioactive fire. That since it's burning cobalt and since the word cobalt is so closely associated with, with atomic weapons in the 60s, he thinks that that fire that's been burning for millennia could actually destroy the world in a second. And so he puts it out. We're going to have words about that. Okay. And the Avengers fly away. Oh, the Dr. Anton tells the Avengers, Goliath, I'm sorry, I can't help you with your problem. The, um, your best hope is to talk to the most brilliant biochemist in his field, a man named Henry Pym. Oh! Da, da, da. Well, I was not looking forward to this issue because last issue, I liked all the parts that weren't about the flame. And it's like, oh, you know, next issue is going to be all about the flame. Uh, but it wasn't that bad. It was better than I thought it would be. I don't think it was great, but it was better. Yeah. 
um, when we when we when we saw the first part of this issue in the mm-hmm. next issue box. So mm-hmm. I guess we were covering issue twenty nine. I thought thirty and thirty one were a different story than they were. This is not as bad of a story. Um, it's just the whole keeper of the flame thing is a little bit silly. It's even more silly once I realized that the science is completely wrong. But it actually works in the story. So can I can I talk about this? Yeah, let's do the science first. Okay, so Cobalt was uh-huh. part of the arms race in the sixties. Uh-huh. Today, it's part of batteries. Mm. Um, because cobalt, here's the thing. Natural cobalt is not radioactive. It's just a metal and it burns blue. Now, cobalt 60 is the one that people think about whenever they talk about, or it's one they're talking about whenever they think about like, you know, the radioisotope cobalt that is used to, you know, work with nuclear stuff. But cobalt 60 doesn't occur naturally. It has to be produced. So there is a cobalt source in Brazil. It is absolutely conceivable that the Incas have been fueling this fire for however many centuries Mm -hmm. with cobalt from the ground. Um, But it's not causing a problem. It's not going to explode. And so Goliath just wrecked a culture because he thought it was a dangerous fire. But no. It wasn't. I feel like they had some nefarious plans with it, but I can't find where they say that. So I guess they just liked the fire. They just liked the fire. Whoever can control the fire is in charge. Huh. Which is weird. Yeah. I don't know why the Keeper of the Flame is so important because it's just fire. But we know that as soon as the fire goes out, nobody can turn it on again. They don't know how to start the fire. They just keep it burning like it's always turning. I guess. Gosh, I really thought there was something about taking over the world, but maybe, yeah, it's just fire. Okay. Um, what happened to Black Widow is a question I have. Um, like they were in arms last issue and she's like, I don't know if you can believe me cause I've just been brainwashed, but I'm totally into you Hawkeye. And he's like, I totally believe you and I miss you boo. And they kiss and now Hawkeye's here and they talk about her, but she's not there. So did you just let her go? It didn't she get away and then he didn't shoot at her. And that's what the whole thing is between him and the wasp at the beginning. No. Well, I shouldn't just say no like that because that could be true, but I don't remember that. Let's see. I'm looking really fast. No. No, you're right. You're right. No, they're just holding each other. So I don't know. I guess she just went on her separate way or she's like back at the hotel crying or something. Um, Or she, yeah. They're just not together right now. He, She's at home and he's at home. And, you know, I guess that happens in relationships. You don't always spend every time together. Mm-hmm. But it is a little bit weird for the storytelling technique. I do like that, even though Hawkeye is now pro Cap, that there's this little moment of him like not liking being bossed around still. Like he's not completely 180. Mm-hmm. But he also gets over it. And Cap's pretty classy for like sticking up for Hawkeye after everything. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why he likes him. Yeah. Now, based on what we've seen on the page, this hostility between the Wasp and the Hawkeye is is kind of out of nowhere. Like we could headcanon that they've had an argument or two since the last issue. Otherwise, it seems really weird that she's saying this. What is she saying? Well, she's like, you know, at least the way it's made it to us believe is that she implies he wouldn't want to go help the Avengers on a mission because he likes the Black Widow and she's an enemy. Oh, well, that's what he thinks. So he apologizes for it. So, oh, she does apologize. Well, okay. So she says, 
we know where Goliath is. We're going to go to him at once unless you don't want to join us. And he's sitting in a chair. And Cap's like, that's uncalled for. He's an Avenger. He'll do what we do. And then he think, Hawkeye thinks to himself, she doesn't fully trust me because of the love, my love for Black Widow. But how does she even know that? They just, re- they just met up again for the first time right now. So that's weird. He hasn't even reported on the Black Widow thing as far as we know. Yes, yeah, so it, it only makes sense if there's conversations between the issues. Otherwise, it's really kind of weird. But Hawkeye's becoming a bigger boy because he's like, forget it, Wasp. The Joker with a tongue like mine can't afford to get mad at what anyone else says. So yes. he's less hot-headed now. Official acknowledgement that Hawkeye is becoming a normal person. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. And I, um, do like, I do like how they are doing this business where like Wasp and Giant Man have ideas about the new Avengers. Like they haven't had full-on fights with anybody. But I think even Goliath had some comments like, that's not what we used to do. Right. Or whatever. So there's like a little bit of gelling or, you know, struggling to gel going on with the old and the new, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, we get three panels with Pietro and Wanda. And I have a question mm-hmm. for you. Okay. Do you think that that's hat hair on Wanda? Like it's curly on top and wavy on bottom, but completely plastered straight around the sides where her wimple should be. Do you, do you think Pietro gets FM and AM? Or <laughs> on his hair? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, why? He's not a he's a human, right? He's not Who? an inhuman. He dated an inhuman, but he's not one. No, he's a he's a mutant human. Yeah, but so what's with the hair? I don't mm, know. Why why don't does know. he have that hair? Just because he runs fast a lot? Anyway. He has his dad's hair. He's his dad. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because Magneto also has that antenna hair. I liked the the uh I mean it's kind of just like turn the car around and let's go back to the main plot, but I like how it turned out that the prince was no better than the other guy. I don't know. That yeah. seemed different, kind of amusing. I like that too. The only other thing I was going to say about uh, the mutants was that they're completely operating on a hypothesis. Oh, there's no yeah. actual knowledge to support this idea about their powers in their homeland. No, and I feel like in today's comic they would have gone to somebody to have them analyzed. Like, right. There's 500 characters that could do a DNA test on them or something. And but in this 1966 comic, I'm trying to think like who would they go to if they wanted to do that? Do Dr. we know Connors? anybody? Dr. Kirk Connors? That's the best I can come up with. Yeah, they don't know him, though. The like, best biochemist I know is Henry Pym. It'd be Henry Pym, or they could have done The Beast, except he's not really like that right now. He's a high school student. He hasn't done any chemistry that I've seen. He will we later. Have, same for Reed Richards. I mean, I'm sure Reed Richards Ooh. has degrees and everything. They could have gone to Reed Richards, though. That's pretty logical. Yeah. They've even met him. They've attacked him. <laughs> so they could have had him like check him out with his magnifying glasses and stuff. Anyway. Okay. Back to Prince Ray. Um, I, yeah, like you said, I like the fact that they turned out to no one was really a good guy here. <laughs> no. Also, if they are Inca, why okay. are they white? White with blonde hair. Yeah. These are South American native descendants. Mm-hmm. I mean, South American native people. This is, this is, non-European, non-conquered, yeah. non-mixed, you know, ethnicities. Uh-huh. They all uh, look like Flash Gordon. They do. They do. I keep calling him Giant Man, which is not right. He's Goliath now. But He's anyway, Goliath. You all know what I'm talking about. Anyway. 
But um, I don't know what as, else. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. But yeah. yeah, there's a lot of shenanigans in this, just like back and forth and whatever, which is why I don't really love this issue. Um, even when you get to just like page seven, after that, it's like okay, 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 lots and lots and lots of action. I think until the Jan, end of the story. Jan was responsible for dropping the security that allowed the prince to come in, and then they get into a big fight, and that helped the Avengers escape because they were about to die. That is good. So that was cool. She did some little espionage stuff. But yeah, it's mostly just... Actually, the Avengers don't even really fight. It's mostly everybody else fighting. And then Cap's like, shoot the arrow on top of that big giant Inca statue, and I bet it'll blow up and smother the flame. And it does. The end. The end. And nobody cares about fighting anymore because there's nothing to fight over. And the Wasp was happy to see that Hank Pym was waking up. And Cap's like, what should we... Should we arrest these people? And No, it's probably not going to work. Yeah, you're right. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I don't think you could do that. Having lost the power of the flame is a worse punishment than any we could have given the keeper. Mm-hmm. Talk about your Star Trek endings. Yeah. Captain Kirk blew up the computer. Well, not only that, but these white people beamed in and ruined this ancient culture and then left and thought they did better. Thought they, yep. you know, made it better for them. Except they're punishing the keeper. Yeah. What was the keeper doing? Apparently nothing wrong. Anyway. Apparently nothing wrong. I mean, societies pick rulers. They chose the keeper. The other guy wanted yeah. to be the ruler instead. Yeah, it was true. an internal squabble. This is why you don't get in mixed with uh, internal domestic. Well, conflicts. they made the mistake of kidnapping the scientists that you know they needed. But that was five comics, man. Five comics in an hour and a half, which is our normal time. I think just you know the Sergeant Furies went by pretty fast. You think we can do it again next week? Sure, let's do it again next week. Because there's another annual coming up. But it's um, not next week. Yeah. Is it? Oh, Thor King the, Size. There it is. I didn't see it. There it is. Yep. So we have the Fantastic Four 54, Amazing Spider-Man 40, Thor King Size Special 2, Tales to Astonish 84, and The X-Men 24. Yay. So that's your reading for next episode. Then we'll go back yeah. to four comics per episode after that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, where can they find us? They can find us at makearsmarvel.com. You'll find all the shows there. You can play on the website or you can follow the links to the various popular uh, podcast apps. You'll also find our links to Facebook and Twitter as well as a contact form or you could write us directly podcast at makearsmarvel.com. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I have two other shows I like to produce I'd like for you to listen to. One is about early image comics called All the Pouches and Image Comics Podcast. It is on Twitter at All the Pouches. The other one is Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast. And that is on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. So do please give those a listen if those concepts strike your fancy. And is that our episode? That's it. So until next time, or until the Keeper of the Flame joins a secret organization called They Make Ours Marvel. Marvel.